This is the Blended Creole Podcast, where we discuss two lives, Southern and Haitian roots. Join us as we talk about family, investing, and seeing the world. While learning about how we tackled blending our lives, from our finances and redefining our relationship with debt, to our Insta family. Welcome to the Blended Creole Podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm Liz. Welcome to the Blended Creole Podcast. I'm Liz. I'm Jay. And this is episode four. And today we're going to talk about um, one of at least my business ventures before I got settled on focusing on real estate for passive income. Um, We did this last season when Jay talked about uh, going into uh, trucking with the FedEx route. and just really sharing lessons learned about different types of businesses as those of our listeners out there considering what type of things may be um, worth investing in to help build some additional income. So today I'm going to talk about my ventures with a multi-level marketing uh, company that at this point, if you've seen, I think it's on Hulu and Hulu and uh, Discovery Plus, I believe. The company is LuLaRoe. Man, LuLaRoe. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I think we did, having these discussions is good um, because uh, we're huge Shark Tank fans. And um, the infamous quotes on Shark Tanks is that you know, no no good business person or no one that has a business hasn't had a failed business, right? So it's always something that a business is something that you know, people try and fail all the time. And I thought it would be good to highlight some of our um some of our failures or, or, or heartaches with uh, different business ventures before we finally figured out our footing with the real estate. Yeah. So, and that's why last last season you, you guys heard me talk about the logistics business that I had with FedEx, which um, started off great but ended off um, failing as well. So um, this time it's Liz's turn to discuss her multi-level marketing venture with the famous Lulu LaRoe. So how did you get started with the Lulu LuLaRoe? How did that even come come about? What made you even want to venture off in, in that manner to do Lulu LuLaRoe? First, discuss what Lulu LuLaRoe is, because people might not, some people may not know. So, for anyone who's out there who hasn't heard of Lulu LuLaRoe, so it's essentially a clothing company similar to um, the idea of like Avon and Mary Kay, in the sense of. Um, you're brought in with a sponsor um, and then you essentially with this company um, at the time you paid your fee which was your initial inventory and then you worked to sell it and uh, most people sold their items online but the company was really known for their leggings that's what I was getting to say was it really a clothing company because <laughs> they did they all they tr- sold was these people got <laughs> super rich off of leggings which is buttery soft oh my leggings. gosh <laughs> look but they were they had dresses they had um like cardigans shirts they had other stuff but they were most known and most people got hooked on the fact of their leggings um Jet, fellas blame lulu LaRoe. lula is it lulu or lula lula roll lula is lula roll okay blame lula roll for all everybody wearing leggings and for every occasion that you see now. <laughs> Do they really bother you that bad? It doesn't bother me. I'm just saying Uggs and leggings. If I see another person go to work with Uggs and leggings. Oh, are they like that at work? Yeah, they are like that at work. They like yeah. that at work in all of a society, too. God bless the Midwest, but Jesus Christ. Everybody wore Uggs and <laughs> leggings everywhere. You can tell someone is not a fan of Uggs and leggings. I don't have any Uggs. I definitely have leggings. Or now my leggings are basically... uh workout tights at this point so but these were fashion leggings correct yeah they were fashion leggings with different prints um and that was the biggest thing where all their unique random crazy prints and that's kind of what got people going um and so I hadn't heard of it because I was actually overseas when this craze had picked up um but my sister brought the company to my attention and she was like hey you know Um, She's a teacher and she was like, oh, my goodness, so many teachers in my school, they're making um, some additional money uh, selling these leggings and these this clothes with this company. The startup fee is not that much. And so me being overseas, I had some additional income and wanting to, I think, in my mind, 
um, really try to get into business, especially with family. I feel like if there's something that makes sense that you could do together, I think it's a great experience. And so it was my sister's. Um, and so both my my sister and then um, my sister-in-law. And so we, the three of us were like, okay, fine. We could split the fee uh, to get into LuLaRoe, which I think at the time was about $10,000 um, for like basically the the largest package you could get. Um, so let me ask, before you started to, before you decided to invest, what was the thought process of, or research process of the company or what you, like, what what invest? How did you investigate going about spending um, your portion of the ten grand to invest in a business, or did you did you at all? So I it was part of it was listening to my sister, but also talking to her friend who turned out to be our sponsor. So they had a lot of good marketing. Um, I guess I would say marketing strategies in the sense that you could sit in on calls, hear you know how was the company doing. They did really great in marketing like oh all this success that was around them and I think if you watch the documentaries that really highlights that right you got to see all of the things that they highlighted all of their big parties these cruises they were throwing how easy it was that these stay-at-home moms and that's what it was really marketed about was like it's a balance between being able to help provide for your family but it's not taking up so much of your time um and so I think for me, I thought, you know, 10K at the time didn't seem like a huge investment and it was worth worth a shot, especially splitting that 10K between three people. Um, and that's kind of how we went about it was, you know, we were all on board and we said, look, we'll all split everything evenly between the three of us and let's go about, you know, working this out um, to, you know, get a little bit invested and I think another selling point for us was my sister highlighted there weren't a lot of black women involved um that made you want to get involved I think it in the sense of like was there another market to tap into that maybe black women had not seen these leggings and some of the prints and I will be the first to admit once we started to get some of the boxes you start to realize like some of the leggings were really ugly um, and they were huge on mismatched prints, which was really mismatched print? mismatch prints. So like prints that really didn't go together <laughs> that people were wearing. That was like one of their things. But I think another part of I this. I think the, what did they call it? Unicorn. Those are unicorn prints. Uh, Just, what, is that what they called them? No. So the unicorn prints were essentially our unicorn items were very popular items that were hard to find. And so the way LuLaRoe worked, right, when you ordered a box you ordered a box of a specific item so a certain kind of dress leggings you had no clue what print <laughs> you were going to get right and so that was it part. sounds like a fascinating <laughs> business model <laughs> so essentially what ended up happening right is that if you got some of these unicorn prints right so before the holidays they always put out certain um capsules is which they called them so there was always like a halloween capsule there was a christmas capsule and so there were certain prints that people really really loved or for instance the black leggings all black leggings was something that like those were considered major unicorns that everyone was looking for and so if you had some you were guaranteed that those were going to sell out because not every uh LuLaRoe, uh retailer or consultant whatever you want to call it had them And so I think for us, what we looked at was, you know, it wasn't only um, the lady who sponsored us, but I think uh, one of my sister's close friends was doing it. And then she was also basically kind of giving testimony, just like any good multi-level marketing uh, situation. You have people who are giving essentially testimony saying, oh, my gosh, this has changed our lives. And I remember one of her friends, like they packed up and moved. She quit teaching. Wow. And like she had done that well. And I think hindsight's twenty twenty. Uh looking at the way people were successful, it was heavily based off of social media. So using Facebook and Instagram. So you would basically go live, open up your boxes, and people would tune in to you live streaming and then say, Oh, yep, I want that print, I want that print and then you would basically send them a bill. And so, sell it. So the, looking at the documentary, that was the process. What do you think they were, I guess, what do you think they were selling? Yeah, they were selling a product. 
it's the leggings, clothing, whatever in the fashion brand. But what was what were they really starting for any company to get that successful? Um, there has to be an ideology behind it, um, aside from the the material, right, or the the, cons- the consumable product itself. Well, what were they selling? What, what was what intrigued you guys and so many other women? Because I think it was all yeah ninety ninety five percent women. And then sometimes the the husbands got involved yeah. helping, but really it was it was marketed towards women. It was definitely marketed towards mothers, right? Because it was this hey, now you can contribute to your household hosting these parties right because sometimes you would host a party someone would invite you to their house similar to the tupperware parties right back in the day so you would go to the person's house bring your inventory they'd invite their friends they'd get a couple of freebies in there depending on how much stuff was sold at the event they hosted but it was a more social family friendly kind of wholesome approach to for not that much, you could change your lives. And that I think that was always kind of one of their things was you could change your life, right, by working hard and um, investing in this company. And this thing really, it really grew legs. I mean, even in the military community, on active duty, you have a lot of people that was um, a lot of uh, military wives because they didn't necessarily have to work. This was something I remember talking to somebody down in um, Kansas. Um <laughs> Fort Leavenworth, and they were, you know, they explained how their wife was getting into this Lula Road craze and um, just having a side hustle. And again, like you guys, like you stated, uh, you know, based on testimonies from um, other people and from that wife specifically, uh, you know, it was a pretty successful business. So you guys get your first, you get your first, what, initial $10,000 order, initial yes, order come in. Of inventory. Then boom, how are you guys, what are you feeling? Like, well, you weren't here. So right? I wasn't here, okay. and but they did split some of the items in the box and send them to me where okay. I was at. And so I was. So you got your first shipment. How did, how, got, what was it like? Leggings, dresses. Okay. And I hosted a party. Um, and people were like, oh, you know, of course, the leggings were one of the first things that sold out. Um, but. But the timing of it was such that I was getting ready to come back anyway. Um, And I think at that point, you know, we really focus on online. And I think for us, like I said, hindsight's 2020. Like, we're not huge online people. I mean, if you can tell from our Instagram, yes, we post stuff about our episodes. Um, But given this is really a social media driven kind of focus, and that's the way most of the marketing was happening and most of the selling um, of items was happening. We, I think if we had taken a step back to really look at like how many followers do we have? How many friends do we have? I don't think we had a large enough pool to really venture down this when I take a step back and look at this. And that's that's not a, you know, speaking from experience, that's not an uncommon mistake, right? Getting into um, a business that you probably, you know, this is not your area of expertise. I know with the trucking business, I remember having a vivid conversation with somebody saying, yo, are you going to get your CDL? And I was like, no, I made the assumption that um, it would be easy to find a driver. It would be easy to maintain without necessarily having to get behind um, the 18 wheeler. Um, did you guys put make, did, was there any thought put into, because it's so, so much of a social media business, like I know you're saying hindsight, but at the time the you did even consider like, we're not big social media people. But we, we, we plan on selling this. What was the alternative way to sell it if it wasn't going to be through social media? Well, part of it too, right? Because this was multi-level marketing, we were brought under someone who was making their resources available okay. as well. And so she was part of a much larger group, right? And so we were able to tap into events that were associated with the levels above us and so i think we were like okay well fine we may not have a huge following to start but there's potential to grow it because we can tap into these different um levels that were ahead of us meaning black people no okay no meaning so our sponsor and then our sponsor sponsor and so there were group meetings right so you would have our sponsor would have a meeting with everyone who was underneath her right and so of course she got a percentage of the sales we had so there's an incentive for her to help us grow our pool of people meaning giving us that guidance to say okay there's this uh in-person event where a bunch of lularoe 
uh, retailers are going to get together like at schools. I remember one, there was that one at a fitness center um, and everyone just had like you could rent a booth space. And so you had a bunch of people coming and, you know, at that time, right, people were looking for those unicorns trying to see, okay, what prints do you have? Do you have it in their size? Things like that, right? Because you would get different prints, but you wouldn't get it in every size that's available. Um, And so I think that was one of the interesting concepts that I thought was fascinating about the business, right, is that in the sense of if you were able to order your own prints specific to your size, you could tailor to your particular group, right, and sell those things. What uh, what do you mean? Because the documentary didn't cover that, I don't think. So, okay, so for instance, if I could order on on their system the the way it doesn't work is I cannot go in and be like, I need 16 pairs of black leggings that were the one size leggings because I have 16 people that need those leggings. Let's say plus size, right? Or one size or plus size, right? Um, But what happens, for instance, for the black leggings, maybe I got four pairs of black leggings in one size. But I know someone else in my group or circle got Mm -hmm. another five. Okay. I can send... The people and my my customers to another retailer. It almost there was almost an incentive not to to share customers in that sense oh, because okay. you don't know what you're gonna get. And so you might have someone say, "Oh my gosh, someone is looking for um, like during Halloween. Maybe there were some jack o' lantern yeah. leggings that okay. I don't have it in the size that I need, but I know someone who has that size. Let me send you to that retailer. So it was almost even like kind of a community vibe between different um, retailers in terms of you're looking for certain patterns or certain items for your particular customers and you're going to send them to someone else because they actually are the ones with that inventory. Um, So, I mean, that, that part was interesting the way they did it. I think ultimately um, what I started to realize very quickly after I returned home was that the market was oversaturated. So before we get there, so, I mean, you get your first box, like, yep. what are you thinking? Are you excited? Are you like, you throw your first party? Is it successful? So we did, we did all online to start. So okay. we, um, did a live, uh, a live stream i think probably on facebook um and i think my sister led it and i think at that time we pretty much for our leggings i think we had sold out pretty much of a lot of our leggings so essentially this is working right so, it was working you, know, you guys get your you get your first box um this, this company's popular for leggings so everybody's looking out for leggings even though you guys don't have such a big social media following you ex you guys execute and your first you guys sell out your first round Yeah. And so what we did was we took advantage of all the opportunities in terms of there were a lot of groups on Facebook. So a lot of LuLaRoe groups on Facebook. And so we would purposely advertise live stream. You would build up anticipation, right? Saying, oh, my gosh, I got some unicorns. And maybe you you would show a unicorn before you live stream to get this way, kind of get the buzz out there that you're getting ready to open a box live. So how many people are looking out for this stuff? Because the the documentary made it seem like, you know, people were like on Facebook as soon as they get like a a box, a box or a, a, a sign that, you know, a box is coming from whoever they're buying from. They're like these people are glued and they would sell out immediately for what they're looking for. Like, this was leggings really that popular? I mean, did you did you even understand how popular this thing was? I didn't realize how popular it was until we started to a attend some of the live streams and see how quickly things were sold out. And literally, it's just comments people being like, "Want that? Got it? Mine?" And so it's the first person who chimed in okay. on a particular item. And then the next, nice like an thing, auction, essentially, almost an auction. And so what I liked about this, right, is so you would live stream normally, almost the unboxing that kids do. Yeah, we've talked about this, right? Kids in these unboxing videos, unboxing it was, toys. You're talking about unboxing of toys. So you would do that. That was the initial way most people did live stream on Instagram, live stream on Facebook to show first dibs on what you got in terms of inventory. The nice part about that is that then, even though you had your own website where you could post stuff and people could shop, that limited how many pictures you had to actually take of items at that point. Because Mm, whatever was sold, now you don't need to post it 
because it was sold. So that I thought that was nice because you can get a like a hundred plus leggings and granted some of them are the same size or the same print so you don't have to take as many pictures but in that sense it limited how much you were putting on their website the other nice part about the company at the time was um to a certain extent for someone who may not have like a computer background in terms of setting up a website setting up um kind of that type of infrastructure they did have that for you okay so you that's part of the initial ten thousand dollars you paid for correct okay um and they gave you like one of those little square um credit card readers for Mm -hmm. when you went out and did live events but essentially your website um you were able to post all your inventory all your items um and so i think for that much and for for that kind of concept if you were someone right who's into clothes who wants to open up a store for instance that that was something you were interested in this kind of gave you a footprint of how to do it um i think the issue probably one of the issues is that right you couldn't select your own inventory in the sense of you couldn't select the prints you wanted to carry so you can't tailor it to your particular market um these are just like mystery boxes essentially yeah that's you know, it, there's watching a documentary. It seems like there's a lot of um, there was a lot of pitfalls, right? There were things that probably could have done, been done better. Um, you mentioned the lack of being able to choose what inventory you have. Um, so you get your you get you guys sell out your first event. Now, another one of the pitfalls is probably how they processed everything, right? Mainly pitfalls for individuals that invested um, or that are in the bottom tier of the. I won't call it the pyramid scheme, but the multi-level marketing, right. um, which in court, it ended up being um, when certain states it ended up losing the court case because they, they were deemed a uh, pyramid, pyramid scheme. scheme. So you guys get your first box, you sell out next. Now what happens now? You, how much money do you guys make? So off of that, basically what you paid for, you at least kind of doubled your money to a certain extent so you paid 10 grand so if the the i think leggings probably sold for i want to say like 20 bucks and they okay. were about 750 i believe landed so let's just purpose of this podcast let's say you got your money back right you guys got 20 grand back that we got did. 20 grand back now it's time to re-up so what we did looking at us what we said is essentially kind of the way i play monopoly i put that 10k that we had initially invested super safe aside okay to for me because i felt like that was that meant we hadn't lost a whole lot now granted from that 10k you have to count that we had um mailers we had to buy we had all the um not inventory but all the items that we needed our racks things like that storage minimal overhead so very minimum overhead and we you know we didn't like some people were able to create like i remember on the documentary like one lady had like a trailer that she yeah, had used she went all out. to set up for us it was in the basement of my parents house and that's where we had everything set up um and that's where we worked out of but essentially what we then did was whatever excess we had at that point beyond the 10k we reinvested but the nice part of this time we were able to select the styles that we liked right so when you brought your first inventory box you got a bunch of styles, some of the less popular. So they just gave you whatever. Correct. Okay. There were certain styles that had to come in that first box. And there were certain clothing items that we really tried to stick to things that we would wear that we thought were more Smart. fashionable. Um, so we always brought leggings. There were certain dresses that really um, stood out that people were really um, fans of. They had cute dresses with pockets. Um, their material was really great to a certain extent. Mm. Um, and this is kind of where I think part of, um, the challenges came overall for the company was that you started to notice the quality of the material, uh, deteriorate. So I think when they were smaller and they were able to, and I think initially, if I'm not mistaken, they had initially kind of pitched that they were, um, made in the USA and then because they grew so big they had to eventually start to outsource. So unfortunately like a lot of companies right you know you you're producing all this all this material um and it's cheaper to make it in different countries. I mean yep. let's just say it is cheaper to make it in China. Um so in order to cut costs um blame I think who signed the NAFTA agreement? Oh, Bush. 
So, <laughs> uh, in order to cut costs, you know, a lot of companies they send their stuff out to different countries and they export it and send it back to um, the United States because it's a much more cheaper. Something you can spend five dollars to make here, you probably could spend fifty cents to make it in China. Um, so, and that, I think that, for that makes them, sense for them. They spun it right. They spun it saying that they were blessing lives in these other countries yeah. by investing there. So this way, you know, kind of to get over this whole they were U.S. made initially to start and now they were expanding to these other countries and said, oh, now we're blessing other people's lives by bringing business here. Um, so you guys get your second shipment. We get our second shipment. Um, and I would say we were there. We did this probably for less then i would say we did it totally for like a year before we completely pulled out really okay so um we started i want to say the fall of 2016 and by the fall early summer fall of 2017 we were like forget it we're so, so what, at what point did it get shaky for you? like at what point did you guys say nah this is not working out when i came home i started to notice it was really oversaturated in our particular market. Um, and so, of course, we're in the Virginia area. And then we started to book these events where it was like, okay, fine. On the weekends, we're going to go. And you start to realize you're not making a ton of money because everyone is at these events. So, you know, one we did, it was at um, a school and it was a whole gymnasium. And then you just started to realize like, oh, my gosh, you're looking around and you're like, there's so many women doing mm. this. So many women Selling doing the this. same type of products same type of products and those were just LuLaRoe so these weren't even um like community events where people were having like a variety of different uh goods this was like LuLaRoe specific Mm. uh events um and I started to realize then like for the time and effort that we were spending on the weekend to go set up put our stuff out and to only make a couple hundred dollars here or there we were selling more when we were live streaming and posting stuff on our website um that i think ultimately what i started to realize was like you start to see less and less people and then the complaints started happening Mm. so people started talking about oh there's holes in the leggings things like that and then what you also started to see on the back end was um realtors um realtors not realtors sorry retailers LuLaRoe sales ladies who were basically starting to complain okay about their inventory and say that like business is slow you know it's it's really hard you know they they're not making as much as they thought they were and so we started to kind of like I think just listen to that into the spring and then from the larger company, you started to hear that they were starting to think about buying back merchandise. So they were, they, they, so they were communicating with you guys on, all throughout the process. And um, like I said, it, it makes sense. Yeah, that's a recipe for disaster right there. The product that you're getting in is, is, is losing quality. And you're in an oversaturated market with a bunch of people selling the same type of stuff. Correct. Um, so... You said you guys, you guys get the email from the company. What's the decision at that point? So one of the emails, they started coming in where there was a whole bunch of complaining, right? And so the initial reaction was for them to be defensive. So this is when I think we saw in one of the documentaries, one of the guys that worked there highlighted what happened to all these moldy leggings. Yeah. So you started to hear like rumors and we, we were blessed. We never received a box of leggings um, or goods that were defective in the sense of nothing was molded, nothing had holes in it. It was very rare. I think maybe one or two leggings had holes in it, and it was stuff that we were able to replace, and it wasn't that big of a deal. Whereas other people started to complain, right? Oh, my goodness, the the goods I got smell. They are, and I was like, okay, great. Um, so first the company was defensive, saying, hey, send the stuff back. We're sorry. We'll, we'll help with that. And then when people started to complain that they weren't able to – um, make as much money as they thought they had anticipated. Um, a, the initial solution was refresh your inventory. So, so buy, buy more. more. Oh, so Great. you have more things. Mm. We never fell for that. We were like, if we can't sell it, then, you know, we're not going to keep buying more stuff 
in the sense that we end up with all these like really ugly patterns. So who in your t- so who in your team decided not to fall for that? Because that's that that's a um, especially when you're in that type of industry, right? A multi-level marketing. You know, you it's kind of like taking or taking um, instructions from the tower. Like the top person is telling you, you know, just keep. But the way they were pushing in a documentary, they were pushing everybody to just keep selling, keep selling. Or keep ordering and keep, keep ordering. ordering. The issue with that is with multi-level marketing, the more you order, the more money the person under you makes, regardless if you sell it or not. Um, so not falling into, into the even the classic inventory trap. Who in your team decided, like, you know, that's not, let's not, let's just continue with the inventory we have and not purchase more because that's really not a solution. I think, honestly, it was probably me because for me, if we didn't have enough money to order more, I did not want to order more. So our money was really dictating that, you know, no, this isn't the time to purchase more. And then I will say we did not feel pressure within the group we were in. Our sponsor and the sponsor above her, they were not pushing as hard in terms of saying, you need to order more. That's how you're going to make more money. You got to order more. See, no one ever pushed us in that way. And I can imagine there must have been pressure probably in other groups where people were saying they were echoing what Deanne and her husband were equity, equity, uh, echoing, which was you need to continue to buy more in order to have people come to shop. And I think the reality is not really if your product speaks for itself, you don't need Absolutely. to buy more. You should be able to sell out of everything and then get um, additional inventory. And in hindsight, right now, you know exactly what was going on. Right? The designs are um, the designers on the at, at headquarters of LuLaRoe. You know, they're cutting corners They're You know, they people are getting low leggings that look like penises and, and, vag- <laughs> and vaginas right in right in the crotch areas or in the, um, in the butt areas. So. I mean, now that you're seeing it, is that did you guys feel any effects of that stuff, or your stuff really wasn't that defective? We, I don't think we ever got any of the leggings that caused people to like that made the press, made the news, anything like that. I think we were aware that things like that were happening, and I think that's when the writing started uh, to really be on the wall for us. Um, but the biggest thing was when they sent out a blast email saying, "Look." We're buying back inventory because that was another aspect of the company that um, was appealing is that they were willing to, at the time initially, there was a buyback policy. Okay. It wasn't as gracious as uh, what they eventually did, which was um, buyback 100%. But there was a decent buyback policy that I felt comfortable with. Um, but ultimately, as the complaint started happening... Uh, there was an email that went out to everyone saying, look, we will buy back all of your inventory. We will pay for shipping. We'll buy it back at 100%. Ooh. And I was like, that's the exit strategy. <laughs> that means it's time to go. Get the hell out of there. The plane is crashing and you got to go. Did your, did your team agree with you with that? Yeah, because at that time, I think like um, my sister-in-law, she may have uh, started to get ready to go. Uh, enter back in the workforce so i think everyone's situation was just changing and i think we had you know we constantly talked to each other right that it was it wasn't as easy as it was we were noticing the sales were going down um and then i think ultimately too if we take a step back we we honestly really didn't enjoy it it was not you know you got to spend your weekend a saturday setting up all this stuff you know, for the time that it was, I think for us, it wasn't really our, it wasn't our jam. So it wasn't a love grind. So you, no. The grind was there. I mean, with any business, the grind is going to be there, right? And especially if everybody has full-time jobs, then it requires you additional additional time, you know, what you call it, the 24-hour work week or whatever it's called. Yep. Um, yeah, so that grind was there, and then you absolutely have to love it. Like, we, we do real estate now. I think it's safe to say <laughs> we both love real estate. Yes, we have Whether walked into a gross house and we are excited you have fell through houses and still been (laughs) and still been excited about still been excited about the process right so i mean we say that to say like you really have to love because the grind is it doesn't get easy with any company that you start any business venture uh i think i learned this that lesson super early on that it is nobody makes easy money 
Like if it's easy money, it's it, there's no Something's such thing as easy money. It. I don't care if you're doing something illegal for the money. You could be doing. It, there is no such thing as easy money. Everything takes a grind and a hustle, and not everybody's built for that. But also, kudos to you guys. Not everybody's smart enough to realize when it's time to get the hell out of there. Um, so you guys get that email. You guys jump decide to jump ship. And what what is their process initially? And then how do they revert back when? I guess the firestorm starts when everybody's, trying, everybody's to trying to get out. Um, so it was really easy, right? So you just had to highlight what inventory you had less um, left. And they basically sent you the um, the shipping labels. You packed the stuff up as long as it wasn't damaged, used or whatever. You sent it back. And then we had a check in the mail. Wow. Well, not check in the mail, but like a check in our uh, deposit. So before, before you continue, so sorry to cut you off. So what happened... Like, what are you guys thinking? I know for me, I would be thinking this company is either very arrogant or just super gracious. What are you guys thinking when you get that email? Like, is any, are you any of you guys thinking like this is? Are you thinking this is this is not just good, this is good for you guys? This is a good opportunity for you guys to get out, or are you thinking this company something's going on with this company? I think at that point we realized something was going on because okay. we that was the rumblings when they were starting to hit the press where people were starting to say okay. they were filing lawsuits. So I think they were trying to get ahead okay. of those lawsuits that ended up really getting them to a place where more people started complaining that the products were defective. It was multi um it was, you know, pyramid, pyramid scheme, scheme, those things like that. And so I think they were trying to I think appease people, right? So if I'm telling you I'll buy back all of your products and you can get out of this, then maybe you're not going to sue me. The issue is everyone can't get out at 100%. So, yeah, they, I guess they There's learned no that. way they you learned can that do that. Really so you guys resend everything back. They cut you a check for exactly what you guys spent? Yeah. No questions, no nothing. So it was, they, they basically brought back all of our inventory. So basically whatever wow. we had spent on inventory, we got that back. And for us, what ended up happening which was great, right? Because we were using a credit card, right, to buy our inventory. We were able to pay off the credit card, and we still ended up making money. Yeah, because you, everything you sold, you kept, right? Everything that had, we had already made money off of what we sold, and then we basically recouped everything. Yeah, that's okay. And so we ended up, I want to say, with probably close to once they purchased everything back from us, as well as we took time to sell all the things we had. So we tried to sell the racks. We tried to sell all of our containers, all those things. I want to say we walked away with maybe close to 15000 Okay. So for us, what worked really well is we split that. Um, and one of the other aspects of this was um, um, Jay will probably say he's probably not a huge fan of this. But for the business itself, I did front the initial startup fee. With the agreement that as we made money, my sisters would pay back their investment. And so that worked out that, you know, everyone had paid back the investment they owed. And they all I think we all walked away with a little bit of money in our pocket. I mean, it, yeah, it's not that I'm not a fan of it. But it luckily, it worked out in, on, on, in your favor. But, you know, I will, I will take my my lessons from Kevin O'Leary, right? Like. Everybody has to have some skin in the game. It's easy when you're not, when you haven't initially invested. But you guys are in a different situation. It's okay to, and it isn't already an agreement in place where people are going to pay you back. So it's not, that's not really a big deal. And and at, at the end of the day, $10,000 is not really a huge amount of money to, you know. Had it been more, to, to I wouldn't front. have. Yes, it's not like it was $100,000 that you front and, oh, yeah. and people are going to pay you back $30,000. So that's a, that's a big <laughs> difference. 10000 is like, okay, all right, you can. If you you have to be whatever whatever it is you need you the person needs to be that's fronting it needs to be okay with losing it correct let's just, let's just say that the that's person needs to be okay case. with you know I will never see this money again worst case scenario and I think for me I was at that place again we've talked about this when you're overseas for us you're not paying rent somewhere um, and you don't have a mortgage and your cost of living is so much cheaper I was in a place where I could do that and I felt comfortable with that. Um, but ultimately for us, that was the writing on the wall. And we had, I can remember having a friend who lived, um, in another part of Virginia who her and her sisters, again, black, um, black ladies who were seeing the same thing we were, who started to ask me about like joining LuLaRoe. And I remember telling her, I was like, don't do it. 
I was like, it's getting like. This is after you guys. Are this was c- close to where we were starting to see the writing on the walls, but before they had offered up the hundred percent buyback. Okay. Gotcha. And if I'm not mistaken, they may have onboarded. Right, mm. that was their big thing. You were waiting in line. You always check this queue to see were you close to getting that call to get your your initial package on onboarding. I think yeah, but if, if you call now, they'll give you one real quick. I know. I think what we say on the documentary is like 500 bucks. Yeah. So the startup <laughs> fee is now um, $500 uh, instead of 10,000 before. It makes you just wonder why it wasn't just 500 initially anyway. But, you know, and this is not to dig on that company. I mean, they, they, their owners have, have run a for a better lack of a better term. They, they run a successful business. Um, they had to, just like everybody else, they had their bumps in the road. So this is not, you know, digging on, on their company, but just sharing uh, your experience with uh, how you how you guys invested and in, in made out with that company. Yeah. And I think ultimately for us, I think, look, it was a lesson learned. It was also a good lesson learned, too, in terms of working with my sisters. I think we talk about this all the time with investing with family as we try to get our footing with real estate. Can we work with? you know, family members, can you build that wealth um, together? And we, we go back and forth about what works, what doesn't work, especially for us when we're trying to find the right partnership because we would love to be able to flip houses, renovate houses, and have someone as a project manager that we trust um, to manage that. And that we have just not been able to find the formula that works for us just yet. Um, and all, and in addition to that, and you know, this is something I've probably I've been struggling with. It's just like, you know, are are people paying for your consulting, right? I mean, that's a like is that something? What what is it? Why are you making that face? <laughs> I'm making the face because Jay gives out a lot of good free advice. I mean, I constantly it, tell him that. And that's and that's a real that's a real thing. Are right? you? Is that something that? You know, you and this is not this is I'm speaking strictly for my immediate family. It's just like like the amount of information you give people that, you know, other people would charge for. It's just like in in, in the many aspects, you know, you start to think like, um, yeah, is that is that something that is it even taken for granted at a certain time? So, um, you know, working with family can always be difficult. So, I mean, that's that's a. It's a stick. It's a six sticky situation, and you know you just gotta. It can be done, though. It, it definitely it can. can be you done. gotta be clear. I, I'm a firm believer that you have to be clear. If there's, if you're upfront and clear about things, that at least to me, I feel like I sleep better at night because at the end of the day, everything was laid out. It was, you know, whether or not people want to take what was laid out but you also have to have contracts i think one of my homegirls is a lawyer and she's a firm believer that no matter what a contract is a good thing even when it's family that's how you protect each other because at that point now you got to read a contract you're signing a contract you can't say that you didn't know nope it was in the contract and you don't want to get to that place where you would have to get to you know suing family but i think that's one way to make people Everyone at the table recognized how serious things are. And we didn't have a contract. I didn't feel like it was necessary to have a contract. But I would say, depending on how much money is being spent, the project and everything that it's worth, um, it's definitely worth it. I mean, we can even laugh. Like, we asked my mom to help us with something, and she's like, she want to do it for free. We're not comfortable with that. Yeah. So, you guys, luckily, you had a good situation working with your family in that instance. Um, so you guys get your, your final check, you get your 15,000, well, you get 5,000 in excess of, and then you wash out what you guys spent, whatever profits you guys split. How are you guys feeling after it's done? Like, what's the, is it relief? Is it like, really? You know, is it failure? Cause I mean, I've had a failed business. You go through this kind of, I knew I went through, it was like, damn, I, I wish it would have worked out. What could I have done better? Um, could I have it approach? Could I have approached it a different way? I mean, are you guys going through that stuff or are you just like, whoo, we got our money back. Let's just be happy that, you know, we or did you did you guys not even think that far into it? It was like, All right, we got our money back. Let's just move on. It didn't work out. The company sucks. 
<laughs> I honestly was relief and more so not necessarily the company sucks, but realizing, okay, this wasn't for us. This wasn't the business that was meant for us. And then you also lessons learned, right? You know, in the instance for me of realizing like, if I want to go into business with my siblings, is this the type of business that I would want to go into that would, that would really take that much work or would I rather some of the things that Jay and I talk about go in on a house and basically raise the capital from our siblings to invest in a house and things like that I think it, it made it very clear that like retail a building, say, a building yeah. things like that that that's not really that wasn't meant for us um but honestly huge relief that we got out we got our money back we didn't lose anything and so for me it wasn't you know the people talk about expensive lessons learned it turned out that it wasn't an expensive lesson learned for us thankfully because we did get all of our money out um and i would say probably maybe two or three weeks after we pulled the trigger they changed their mm. policy so it went from you know you had to pay for shipping which i mean if anyone knows shipping stuff can get expensive and then i think they weren't they i think they slowly moved it right it was like you have to pay for shipping we'll still give you 100 percent, and then it slowly went back from like now it's not 100 percent. you got to pay for shipping now it's like 90 80 and so if you didn't get out at the right time you were left holding a bag and i think that's what's um interesting in a lot of the documentaries the two documentaries that are out is that it does highlight that the people who did not get out what happened with i mean you have people who were um and we talked about this right um and no shame on anyone that was <laughs> in the documentary but we were curious right if you were making so much good money at what point Man. do you not invest that into something more solid that's not as volatile as like fashion because right fashion changes it's a trend for a little bit that you know i mean in my view lularoe was probably never going to be a it's not going to turn into a household name brand that's going to sustain for years that well, well that's where you got to credit the company right because you know they they happen to turn it that way i mean it was it's not like you would go to a you can go to a, a store and just say you want a lularoe was it like legging or whatever yeah they they managed to take a company and you know and, and market it you do their social media means and through utilizing um now you can call it a pyramid scheme but utilizing the multi-level marketing and, and making the household name for themselves because everybody was selling this stuff um yeah so i mean it's a you know you gotta you gotta give kudos to them at some point right they did they did build that business um and however way they build they built it um even though you know later on it it was deemed to be um illegal in certain states um because that is having a payment scheme is illegal in certain states specifically in the documentary i mentioned it was a washington washington state that was um that they lost their lawsuits for and they have lawsuits with other many other states but you know they definitely built their business and you know kudos to them for that um could they have done some things differently of course just like you guys could have done some things differently yeah. right but um you know, it is what it is at this point, and, and not every business is going to be as successful, and not every business is going to turn out like them either. So I would say definitely, look, multi-level marketing is not anything new. It exists. There's plenty of companies out there that we could rattle off that are multi-level marketing uh, type companies. The catch with those companies, I would say, is getting in early when these companies exist, right? So for anyone who got into LuLaRoe when it first started those first few months and they were able to build out those networks and had more people underneath them, they did fine for the most part, right? The and, they, and they have no regrets. You did. You did some of them on a documentary oh, yeah. that have no regrets about how things turned out. And they invested, right? So some of them, you know, they paid off a house. They paid off their cars. They weren't, you know, they didn't, their lifestyle didn't increase as their money increased from LuLaRoe. So I would say if you're interested in multi-level marketing companies, you're looking for something that is just launching, starting off that you will be one of those sponsor level people who's bringing in people underneath you because that's how you're going to make your money really at the end of the day. If you're coming in and you're the person on the ground, you know, trying to sell the products, you know, all those people above you are getting a cut of those products. So I think ultimately that's one of the things as you're considering any sort of multi-level marketing company is how long has it been around? 
how many people are already involved in that business in your area realizing and I think some of the things that we talk about even like this podcast someone said okay make a list of how many episodes that's no different than multi-level marketing make a list of how many people you could market whatever product you're going to sell to to get you a solid idea of do you even have the community to sell your product to because it's a it's it's a grind yeah, I mean, and at the end of the day, be a good steward of your money, right? Regardless of what you, whatever, regardless of what your hustle, your grind is, whether it's just a nine to five, um, multiple side hustles, um, you definitely want to save, invest your money wisely, and make your money grow for you. And everybody has a time, right? Everybody is going to have a time when, you know, they shoot up and make a lot of money. And what, what are you going to have to show for it at the end of the day? As uh, as Liz said in in the documentary, there's a lot of people that did very well and have nothing to show for it it was so sad to see this lady had banked so much on lula Row that you know she's end up living in the trailer with with her kid and getting a divorce and all these and things life just spiraling out of control over over something that she that she believed in um and that's okay to have that much belief in something but um you definitely want to have something to show for it at the end so you know we talk about investing um, we talk about real estate. We talk about the mutual funds. We talk about the stock market. Um, we talk about crypto. Um, those are things that, you know, you want to or, or just money market accounts to just have your money sit there and not make as much money just to have save something or just a just a standard bank account, just something to save your save your money, the money that you are making. Because, you know, at anything can happen. You know, you can get sick. Your business can go down the toilet. You can lose your job. Um, anything can happen. So. Um, you want to be a good steward of, that, of whatever money you have coming in. All right. So that's my adventure with LuLaRoe. If you haven't checked out either of the documentaries that are on, who is it? Who is it? No, I think it's Prime. One is on Discovery Plus Discovery for sure. Plus and I think Hulu. Yeah, you can find it. It's, I'm sure if you Google LuLaRoe documentary, yes. both, both of them will come up on whatever channels. They're fascinating um, to watch to see how it all went down. So Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in this week. All right. Have a good one. That's it for this week's episode of Blue Creole Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and are looking forward to hearing more about how we're blending our lives from our family to our finances, please be sure to subscribe and tune in next week to hear more.